In producing the Care Mosaic, I wanted to bring to life all of the variety and difference that goes into caring. So far, we've heard from carers supporting parents with dementia, partners with a disability, and the experiences of a couple of fantastic young carers. On this edition, you're going to meet two women who both support someone living with mental illness. Over the past decade, one of the most pleasing developments in Australia is that it's far more possible to have open conversations about the impact of mental ill health. These can be incredibly confronting conversations, especially when people talk about taking their own lives. We know that the burden of mental illness in Australia is incredibly high. According to the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, over 3,000 Australians lose their life to suicide every year. Across the country, there are millions of individuals supporting those in the community who are most vulnerable. At the heart of that response are unpaid carers, providing the daily support to people living with mental illness. This type of caring can have all sorts of different impacts, and it can often lead to poor mental health, physical health, and severe financial stress for the carers themselves. You're going to hear about how this plays out in daily life for both Wendy and Nicole. And from the outset of this edition, if any of these topics raise concerns for you or someone you know, the number for Lifeline at 24-7 Crisis Support and Suicide Prevention Service is 131114. It's time to meet Wendy, who lives on a farm between Talangata and Koryong in Victoria's mountain country. Welcome. Welcome to my farm. This is Wendy. And we have 70 acres up in the up in the mountains, and we have seven horses, a, a mule and a donkey, and um, an aviary with heaps of birds, and two Burmese cats, Thelma and Louise. The Appaloosa horses, who will get a cameo on this edition of the Care Mosaic, play a really important role in Wendy's world. And all of the horses are so. Um, friendly, so quiet and friendly, and um, I communicate with them. They like blowing up my nose, and I blow up their nose, and I don't know whether you're supposed to or not, but that's a way of communicating. And um, we spend a lot of time, the horses and me, just hanging, you know, with their head over the fence, and I'll, sometimes I'll give them a carrot, but not always, because I don't want them to expect that they're going to get a carrot all the time, but they often just want to hang around and put their head over and blow up your nose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> That's beautiful. Andy also lives on the farm. When I met Wendy, she described Andy and herself as being separated under the one roof. The two met over 15 years ago when Wendy was visiting her sister in South Australia and asked Andy if she could have a ride on his Harley. It was the start of a new relationship. Climbed on the bike and it was like there was a connection that's all i can say so it was uh usually if someone has a ride it's a 10 minute thing but um because we both were connected it went for 3 hours wow yeah. And then, um, and Andy took me all up the river and showed me all little spots and like, and then, and then it was like, well, we'll do this again tomorrow and the next day and the next day until my holiday was over. Okay. Mm. Um, 
And so really, really hitting it off and having that strong connection that was there. And when did it move to a point for you where you thought, okay, yeah, I can, I can see a future with Andy? Um, well, it probably happened quite quickly because I was still working overseas. Um, but then he had, uh, he had um, had a bad accident and has, uh, still has his post-traumatic stress from like 17 years ago when I first met. And um, so I sort of, I'm that caring sort of a person and I wanted to help him and I knew I could. And then when I became ill and had to um, sell the company, then I just went over there and we sort of set up together. The start of Andy and Wendy's relationship was marked by ill health. Andy had been involved in a motorbike accident that left him with post-traumatic stress, which he still battles with today. He'd had this uh, shocking accident, and so he was in a really bad place when I met him. And he'd had an immediate breakdown um, at the site, and, um, and then didn't know what he was doing, basically. So I could see... I could see a plan and a goal and how to get there and so I've I've been able to be instrumental. For Wendy, she was suffering from poor physical health. It's left them providing a level of care for one another. My health issues uh, got worse once we got together and um, he, yes, he he cared for me and then... and. Then I cared for him and like we were caring for each other and probably still are because um, my health after 16 years has improved a lot. Um, so it's not, I don't need so much help. But I mean, I've, I was in a wheelchair. Financial support is a huge part of the care that Wendy provides for Andy. But quite awfully, it's this generosity that has left Wendy in an incredibly vulnerable position and she's now relying on government assistance to survive. It's an experience that's sadly far too common for women providing care who have been subject to abuse. Andy was so ill with the stress that he was going to lose his house, he was going to lose his car, he had a block of land that he couldn't pay off. You know. So I bought the block of land. See, I had some finances. Um, I bought the block of land, I bought his car... I paid his car out so he didn't lose that. And then I paid off his house. Um, so I had a big financial input. Then um, then I sold my house in Melbourne and we used that money to buy uh, a beautiful off-road caravan and a big uh, Toyota Cruiser. And we went around Australia for a couple of years in a row. Great. Where, oh. where did you go? Well, it was we went everywhere. We went straight up, first of all, from Adelaide up to Darwin. Yeah. And then came back down the west coast. Then the next trip we did with the caravan club left from Byron Bay, which is the most easterly point in Australia. Sure is. And, um, you know. Yeah. And um, we went straight across to Steep Point in Western Australia. Oh, is that near Monkey Mire? Yeah. yeah. And that's the most westerly point. I was just at the most southerly point on the mainland a couple of weeks ago. At the yep. Prom. Yeah. yep. <laughs> so uh, so that, that trip from Byron Bay to Steep Point, that we went with the caravan, the caravan club, which 
was essential because we were on, we were off road most of the time, dirt tracks, little hidden bush places, and this sort of thing. And we were only on bitumen for about maybe 1,000 kilometres out of the whole thing. It was a that was an, an amazing experience. That was really good. So it was with with that club that we came to Coriong and Andy got um, a payout which took 11 years to get and um, with the payout then we basically bought this property I suppose and then um, the horses didn't work out financially uh, and um, yeah so we went downhill financially <laughs> basically to the to the point where um, now we, we're we both um, on Centrelink and, uh, and, and NDIS and My Age Care. So the government is extremely helpful. Well, we couldn't be here without the, without the government, I must say. We haven't been very good with money, really, I suppose. How's that been for stress levels? Oh, shocking. <laughs> Absolutely shocking. And... Um, so bad, so bad that you've... Uh, I can't explain how bad it's been. There was a credit card debt, which we couldn't move, and it was costing, you know, like $260 a month just in interest, you know. It was very distressing. Stressful and distressing. On top of the strain that comes from huge financial stress, according to Wendy, the relationship with Andy also turned abusive. And at this point, if any of Wendy's story raises concerns for you or someone you love, Lifeline is available as 24-7 crisis support. You can call 131114 or visit the website at lifeline.org.au. There's also the National Domestic Violence Hotline on 1800 737 732 or 1800RESPECT. This is what Wendy told me when I asked her how she felt as the relationship deteriorated. Shocking, absolutely terrible inside. And then wanting to leave, uh, I just thought I can't take this anymore. And at one stage, the relationship was abusive, verbally, and um, and that sort of for me was like, well, I'm not, I can't put up with this, you know. So I've wanted to leave quite a lot. Um, so that today is a good day, though. Tell me why it's a good day. We've, because we've had an NDIS worker here today, and when uh, so three days a week we have workers here coming to to help either um, chopping wood for the fire, um, welding. Uh, the the lass who was here today was specifically for horses today, and what that does is. It gives Andy the impetus to get going and get up and because he can still be prone to just sleeping in that in his chair um, so or playing games um, but when when he knows that these people are coming it's a whole different outlook for the day in 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 every aspect. The NDIS has played an instrumental role in supporting Andy. For Wendy, the Carer Gateway has been a huge source of support. I rang them and they immediately um, listened to what I had to say and then got 
um, a counsellor to call me and uh, I think I've had three lots of six sessions of counselling um, probably uh, you know over the last two years or so um, which has been very helpful for me just to talk instead of talking to my friends and then they don't know what to do you know better to talk to a counsellor who can sort of just mm, give me ideas and remind me of how to relax and you know things like that and say this is normal or whatever um, so and they're also Care Gateway uh, they're just there if I want them if I need them they just say, you just ring if you need us. Well, I feel now I don't need counselling. Support from other people in the community has also been an instrumental part in assisting Wendy to feel better in herself. As a content warning, there's a concerning suicide reference ahead. The number once again for Lifeline is 131114. I've been um, quite active in the community in Talangata, and so I have contacts in there. Uh, not a lot, but um, I go to an exercise group there and we all, some of us, you know, go off for coffee afterwards and that sort of thing. And then, of course, the pub. Mm-hmm. If it hadn't, if if it wasn't for the pub uh, and the pe- meeting the people there, I don't think I'd still be here. That says a lot. I know, yeah. I know. And so Andy doesn't like me going to the pub. And I and I say, why don't you like me going to the pub? I don't understand because I'm only going for an hour and I'm going to talk and, um, you know, I'm not far away. It's only two kilometres away. Uh, but I don't really know why he... I think for some reason he resents it. But I, I meet lots of lovely people there. That's great. That's really, Lots. really special. Yeah, it sounds like a, one yeah. of those sort of, I don't know, quintessential fairy tale sorts of pubs where people come together that don't really exist too much these days in the big cities. Oh, they wouldn't get them in the city at no. all. And even out in the country, um, you don't get this same atmosphere. This is a tiny little pub, tiny. And there's no houses around, there's no shops, there's nothing. It's just the pub. I found that Wendy was in a situation where she's caught, isolated on a farm that she loves, but cut off from family and navigating a precarious caring relationship with Andy. I wanted to know what sort of advice she would have given to an earlier version of herself. If you could hop in a time machine and talk to a version of yourself from 15 years ago, what sort of advice do you think you would give yourself? Putting you on the spot with that one, I'm sorry. Yeah, that is a hard one. Um, Sometimes I regret leaving Melbourne in a way, right, because I don't ever want to go back and live in the suburbs again. Um, But I did have a house in Mitcham and my daughter and family lived in the house opposite. And I sold that house and I regret... I regret not having that house and that connection with them anymore. Um, And yet I went off to a big adventure. And what do I do? I'd do the same thing. Looking ahead, it's Wendy's vulnerable financial position that clouds her future. Well, finances is always a a tricky one. Um, Hopefully finances might work. We've separated our finances now. 
And so if I have more control over my amount of money, um, it would, that's, that's going to be a great relief. Whether I'm successful or not is another question, but I think I will be. Um, I just don't want to go broke. <laughs> and here's what Wendy said when I asked her what advice she would give to other carers. You're doing, <laughs> you're on a hard road. You're doing a bloody good job. Nobody knows what they're doing, so just keep at it. You don't know what's around the corner. It's, it's very, very difficult. Rewarding, but difficult. Finally, there are also many wonderful animals here on this farm. Mm. Is there one that you would say is your absolute favourite that manages to get a particularly um, good spot in uh, Wendy's heart? One of the horses. Um, I love them all, but, you know, there's one that'll come up and... And uh, and if she'll see me across the, the paddock, <laughs> you know, hello. And, um, they're like little friends. And uh, so I get a great deal of pleasure of and relaxation and calm being outside, especially when the weather's good, and um, just having blowing up the nose of another horse. Pretty <laughs> <laughs> good. Um... Wendy, thank you so much for chatting with me. It's a real pleasure. I hope I've been able to um, deliver the, the information that you need or wanted and I hope that those listening um, can relate a bit or if not, think, oh, well, there's, she's different. You know, we're all different. So some are in a good... Some carers will be in a really good place, I think. I think. And some won't be. Um, But every day is a new day. That's all I can say. That was Wendy's story. You're listening to The Care Mosaic, where we explore the diverse views and perspectives of Victorian carers. In the most recent survey on mental health and wellbeing by the Australian Bureau of Statistics, it was estimated that nearly one in two Australians aged between 16 to 85 had experienced a mental disorder in their lifetime but we don't often hear about the people who support them. One of those carers is Nicole. Uh, My name's Nicole. Um, Welcome into my home um, here in Diamond Creek, where I live with my three beautiful children, my two daughters and my son, and um, with my husband, Jeff, who I care for. And we also have a couple of cats and a beautiful little bearded dragon just joined the family. Nicole is someone who leads an incredibly involved life. A bit busy, a bit too busy right now. Uh, especially now we're post-lockdown and back into some kind of normality um, for the kids. So getting them back, being active, being in sports, basketball, soccer. Um, my oldest loves to sing, so she's doing. she started doing like little muso picnic gigs on the weekends as well. Um, so they're... Their world keeps me busy, let alone all the other things in my um, my side hustle or the other part of my life that I'm, you know, really passionate about in terms of well-being and, um, yeah, taking care of myself and others. Um, I work four days a week in corporate. Um, it serves a purpose um, and I'm grateful for that and I'm grateful I'm able to do it from home, but that keeps me really busy. Um, so I, I, I really am a full-time worker with, um, you know, 
for three three very active, busy kids um, right at the prime. Throw on top of that my my desire and my passion to grow into this side hustle out of corporate um, and into what I'm really passionate about with the well-being stuff. This story is one that looks at how Nicole's outlook to caring has changed, what being a carer to Jeff looks like, and the challenges that have followed. Listening to Nicole really gave me a better sense of all the complexities that are attached to caring for someone with a severe mental illness. We pick up the conversation after I asked Nicole how long the term carer has been relevant for her. I've been with my husband for 25 years and he's had his illness his whole life really and I was the first person he confided in that he that something wasn't right um, mentally and I didn't recognise that as a role as a carer honestly till about a year ago. It wasn't until I went hang on this is all a bit too much and I'm not qualified for what's going on and this is a bit scary help what sort of help is there for me and when I asked the doctor what sort of help is there I was told sorry Nicole there's there's nothing here for you in the private health industry and I was kind of outraged and so I went on a bit of a quest to find what support is there and then I it dawned on me then okay my role is actually like a carer's role that's a label that I didn't ever to think everything before that to put on me so it's a fairly recent one and now I'm just so passionate about it and helping other people to go hang on recognize yourself that's another label to add you know it's it's another role that you play in life um, and it's so undervalued and under appreciated um, and under acknowledged so I want to do everything to be able to help people recognize and and celebrate and uh, yeah, support this, I guess I was calling it the invisible workforce of people caring for their loved ones. That's brilliant. Tell me, tell me a bit more about the Jeff that you met 25 years ago. Tell me about what it was like meeting him and all the qualities that you fell in love with. Wow. <laughs> so it was a Saturday night uh, in um, Queensbury Street down the road from the art house um, and I was at a phone box um, on the phone to my boyfriend at the time and Jeff was a backpacker staying up the, at the art house and he was ordering a pizza. It was 2 a.m. And my girlfriend wrote my phone number back before there was mobiles um, on his arm in lipstick and I don't know why. I was the one with the boyfriend. The other two, my friend wasn't. But, yeah, we, we hit it off. We That boyfriend disappeared and the first thing we did to take Jeff out to do something Melbourneian was – hilarious we took him to the corner hotel and we saw the tea party which is a canadian band (laughs) and good to flag here jeff originally hails from canada but yeah there was some magic in the night that that night and um i i went you know he's you know he's a traveler that's not going to work we didn't just didn't really think of it but he thought the same and we didn't know there was this chemistry building and we just started hanging out being best friends like we just felt like we were it was finally this this person that wanted to I just wanted to know everything about him and you know he was so patient and interested and keen to learn everything about me and it really we became each other's best friends first before any anything anything really happened um, but then yeah once that first kiss happened um, yeah so that's been that was um, Good Friday Eve 
um, 2000, no, 1996, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so that's a long time ago. Um, and yeah, so we, we've both got a sense of adventure. We both love nature. We've, we love the open road, love ro- being on the road and um, road tripping. We've done a lot of that across, we travelled across Canada, we've done half a lot around Australia, we've travelled around Europe. Um, and I think that sense of adventure and connection with Earth is something that, we, that brought us together a lot. Yeah. That sense of passion and that real engagement with nature is something that really does come through a lot and to be able to travel in the way that you do and to have had those experiences it must must have been a really really important part of it tell me a bit more about jeff as a person too so it's lovely to hear about all of the the great things that um that happened in the lead up to, to meeting him and becoming a couple but tell me a bit more about what makes him tick so jeff's a pretty um, easygoing, gentle, caring, um, thoughtful, introverted, not very confident, but beautiful person. Has a lot of wonderful qualities. Um, all he ever wants to do is serve others um, and be supportive and, and, and do whatever he can, sometimes at his own um, expense, which isn't great. Uh, but, yeah, be- absolutely beautiful human being that... Um, doesn't have a mean bone in his body. Um, learn, needs to learn to st- stick up for himself a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he he. Anything he puts his mind to, he's capable of. Um, he loves music. He loves playing guitar. Um, yeah, loves his metal music, and that's 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 one of the connections we had. We both. I used to be a bit more of a metalhead. Um, I've mellowed in the years since we met but um yeah yeah that's a bit i guess that's a bit about jeff yeah thanks for sharing that so you mentioned that a year ago thinking about the label of of being a carer and something which really came to the forefront in that relationship that you have with jeff and that especially over the last couple of years there's been it's been a much more challenging time than than in the past talk me through what the last couple of years have looked like for you? Mm. So, like I said, um, I had some health issues, and you know that was that was a bit of a struggle. So, since having the family, the the, the three kids with Jeff, um, you know, it's like the circus came to the house and hasn't left. But um, yeah, making sure that I've learnt to take care of myself um, and juggle everybody's needs. Is this ever, you know? trying to juggle all the plates and sometimes a plate falls and you know that's okay you go clean it up afterwards but um you know Jeff's Jeff's managed to we've been it's been like the third person in this relationship from the beginning and he's managed to keep a, a, a I guess it under fairly I guess under the radar in terms of affecting or impacting our our lifestyle and the things we do um but for the last two years or nearly three years now, um, I think Jeff has really struggled to contain what was going on inside. Um, and I think, you know, there's, we, can, we can sit here and speculate about what got him to this point of getting really sick where his illness just took over his life for the last two years. Um, you know, a combination of, you know, having the kids and um, 
me not being well but getting back on my feet but he at the time he was st- he he was studying and working full time and looking after the kids um there was a lot going on and you know and then we transitioned I went back to work full time and Jeff stayed home he was home for about 5 years um but he quit job he quit working and was studying the, yeah looking after the kids um for about five years before he started to look for work and it was in that year three years ago when he started looking for work and trying to find his own identity again um yeah that's when the illness seemed to take hold of him so um there was the the busy circus of life with the family and um you know trying to juggle work and uh, family and um Families on the other opposite side of the world as well. Um, so there's always been, you know, pre-COVID, there was a trip on a plane to visit family somewhere. Um, but yeah, the the last couple of years, just he's not been able to find the right support, help, um, the right therapy that's going to help him manage and keep keep it keep it from controlling him. I, I found a video that the, the black dog had, which really summed it up beautifully, more sadly. Um, it's a little YouTube video with the dog. Um, the black dog is, you know, ideally, you know, it's on its on a leash and you keep it, you know, sort of compact size, maybe, you know, not as big as a Labrador, but, you know, somewhere a bit smaller than that. But, you know, the, the black dog has always been there for Jeff but he's been able to manage and keep it on a leash or hidden behind a closed door and it just, it, it's gotten so big. Um, and just like in the video, it, it feels like Jeff became the black dog and it's just completely consumed him and it's like I've lost him. He's not really there anymore. There's uh, little little glimmers or little pockets of seeing him come back. But, yeah, that, that illness has just, it's, yeah, really taken hold of him. A content warning here. The contemplation of suicide is mentioned in a reference ahead. The number for Lifeline is 131114. We've spent a lot of time in hospital over the last number of years too. Yeah. It's, so Jeff, before this last couple of years, had never needed to go to hospital with his illness. And it's never been a, a big concern that this would happen because it seemed to be something we, we managed, or he managed quite well. But I guess a bunch of circumstances leading to, to what happened. But, yeah, he, he drove himself to the hospital for the first time two years ago um, because the threat of risk of his life was so great. He knew he had no other choice. It was one other choice and he didn't want to do that. So, yeah, he drove himself to the hospital to get help. And, yeah, so we've, we've done the dance of navigating private and public health, mental health services over the last two years and yeah there's been lots of um triggering and traumatizing experiences in all of that um some good some not so good um but all of them I guess life life learning lessons on yeah how things could be done better um and that yeah this 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 black dog this this particular type of illness that um, affects so many people we know so little about this is what I've learnt um, there's no there's no real sign we don't really know because I, I also think this illness goes much deeper 
than just what's going on in the brain. I think it goes down all the layers you know, emotionally, um, metaphysically, and you know, into the into the soul layer of a person. Something maybe that was carried through from a past life, perhaps. Um, you know, that's and I feel like that's why it's so hard for them to figure out what's going on because it's not just something science can see with a with a X-ray or a, an, a, a, a scan or something. Yeah. Talk me through what those last couple of years have been like for you in a bit more detail. Yeah, the last couple of years have been the hardest of my whole life. I feel like the work I did on myself was like great preparation for what was to come, which was not knowing what was going to happen with my husband, losing him over and over to the illness, not knowing if he's going to come back, become a single, becoming a single mum is, is what happened, um, figuring out how to navigate all of that in a COVID world, um, as well as, you know, become uh, being the home learning um, teaching lead, as well as trying to work and find the right kind of services and support for Jeff. It's been really, really, really tough the last couple of years. Um, and there's a lot of a lot of healing to do for for me and for the kids, my family. You know, friends have been exposed to some of the horrible things that have had that have happened as Jeff's illness has. You know, it, it, we've we ha- he hasn't really come up from for air much out of the illness. Um, most of the time, it's been just he's been going further down and down and. and terrifyingly not knowing if he's going to come out of that it's been really really um isolating and terrifying and exhausting and just yeah I'm so grateful for my mindful I guess Buddhist approach to it is you know accepting this is it like this is not what I signed up for but this is what I this is my life I can't walk away from it and I don't want to be a victim about it because that's not going to help being sad about it all the time so I guess being trying to look at all the things that I'm I'm grateful for seeing all the love and support that we've had um and even though I felt alone I know how I'm, I'm how grateful I am um, our circumstances are we, we do have a loving family and friends to support us so we haven't been alone so yeah it's I guess a whole bunch of bittersweet mixed emotions around everything that's happened you know in some ways I'm really grateful for what's for all the stuff we've had to go through because it's potentially propelled me given me purpose and life experience to go out and try and make things better not just for for Jeff but for, and for my family but for other people who maybe can't find their voice and um, yeah I, I want to encourage everyone to realize how important they are not just the people that you're caring for you, you matter just as much if not more because if you're not in a state of well-being how can you possibly forget about your own oxygen mask and stick it on someone else um, it's it's not that's that's not a good way to do it it's not the right way to do it um that's that's <laughs> going to have dire consequences on your own health if if that's the path you take and i worry because it took me 24 years or whatever it was to figure out that i actually i was a carer <laughs> and i needed to think about what that was doing how much of an impact that was having on my well-being 
and still is. Yeah. That commitment that Nicole has to supporting other carers has materialised in the form of the Carers Collective. It's a carer network that she set up with another carer to support carers living in Melbourne's northeast. You can find out more about their work at carerscollective.org. Returning to Nicole, I wanted to know more about the philosophy that she takes when life becomes extra stressful. You have a really incredible philosophy. I'm wondering what are the most challenging or difficult days look like when there is that level of uncertainty and that stress that you've been talking about what do the really challenging days look like for you so you know picture a a normal busy day as a mum working and there's basketball practice and someone's birthday and someone's got to go to the dentist that's got a yeah my youngest has a phobia with the dentist and then my husband comes out and he wants to harm himself and I have to drop everything. I feel like I become a triage nurse and I have to go into that stealth mode of, okay, drop all those plates that were spinning and a whole new bunch of plates are spinning. Who's going to pick the kids up? I need to, how am I going to get him to the hospital? Am I going to have to get um, COVID tests before we can even go? Which hospital are we going to? You know, what? I become this, I feel like I'm sitting at a, in a crisis and I forget about what we were doing, what the, what, how the day was unfolding and I have to park it and have to be at peace with it. I can't hold on to that and, okay, so this is happening now um, and be calm and accepting of the fresh crisis that is unfolding but also acknowledging that emotional impact that it's having on me. Okay, here we are again. And how's that making me feel? You know, it's, yeah, making me feel <laughs> even more of a, of a single mum. Less of three kids and more of three kids and an extra special needs kid mm-hmm. is what it feels like on those days. And just a little bit more of losing my husband. That's, that's what happens on those days. And then to flip it... The good days, what are they like? Well, um, the good days are when I am feeling in the flow and I'm connecting to what I'm doing, what I love doing, being with people I love, um, being around people who have a similar connection to something that I love, whether it be around Reiki, um, essential oils, making soap, I make soap. Um, trying to reduce the toxic load at home and and educate myself and others. Um, Being around people um, interested in understanding how to balance all of the stuff going on inside the brain and knowing that you're just, that's just part of who you are. You aren't your thoughts. And being, talking about philosophy and and different perspectives on that, love it all. So um, also love being in the moment, I love by being a mindfulness person, I really try and have bright eyes focused in on the detail of listening to my daughter read her, you know, bedtime story, or my son, um, you know, showing, seeing how how much attentive care he gives to his beautiful bearded dragon, seeing the tears in his eyes when he's he's worried that he's because he's. Is, has he had enough to eat today? He doesn't want me to pick him up, you know. Um, but being in the, just even now, seeing how green that grass is and seeing all those beautiful insects flying around, you know, trying to be 
with everything that's unfolding. Yeah, it's, there's, even on those tough days, there's that beautiful, if you be aware of everything in your horrible day, there's also great things, beautiful things that are still there going on in the background. Tell me, how do you balance all of that? So that desire to be able to connect in with the moment to having to respond to really, really mm, gut-wrenching experiences and news and navigating through all sorts of different challenges and yet also holding down um, a really intense job as well too and, and supporting kids and ensuring that they're happy and healthy as possible. What's your approach to balancing everything there? It's not easy. Um, and priorities, like every mum, every busy mum, is you, usually your babies are your priority and you come below that. Um, I think one of the most important things is that I make sure I put myself back up on that on the list and refill my cup so I can keep going. Because the reality is this is just this is too much for one person. And, and that's some days I find myself saying that, that, I can't hold all of this. This is just, really? Really? Am I supposed to be able to cope with all of this? Um, And sometimes I know I can't because it is too much. Um, And it's okay. Sometimes I let things fall apart. Um, My house is not the cleanest. Um, Maybe my kids haven't been to the dentist as often as they probably should have been. Or, you know, maybe I've not turned up to every birthday party or social event, but I've I've shown up and done the best that I can and just being kind to myself knowing sometimes it's too much and I have to reduce how much I can do. But, you know, on those days and all that time when Jeff hasn't been living here, which is more than six months in the last two years, I feel like I'm just racing from one thing to the next to juggle it all um, as well as try and bring that quality of being attentive and aware and, and, and as present with it all it all it has to offer so it's I don't really have an answer to that it's it's messy um and it is too much and I guess recognizing when it's too much what I need to do to switch off and slow down and refill is is the is the most important aspect rather than running myself into the ground and then not being any use to anybody Mm -hmm. yeah there's been a few moments where I've even had conversations with certain um, mental health service providers that, you know, if if they think it's up to me to look after my husband and they've they've I felt like that, that that's happened a few times, the system's let us down. I've warned, you know, our kids are gonna end up with no parents or both parents in, in you, might, you might as well book the room next to Jeff because, you know, that's where I'm gonna end up because this is too much for one person to try and navigate. Where do friends and family come into the mix? Well, in in lots of different ways. Um, beautiful neighbour cooks us dinner every Thursday night. Wonderful. Um, and wants to keep doing it, even yeah. though Jeff's come back home now, uh, for now. You know, just there's all kinds of different ways that um, family, friends, community have supported us. And it's just be, it's been beautiful to see that. 
on Christmas Eve crying um, with my group of scrapbooking friends. This beautiful friend of mine that turned up with all these bags, she's been suffering from breast cancer for years and years. She turns up with all this stuff that they've bought for me and the kids knowing that Jeff's not home with us for Christmas. And I just wanted to bring a bit of, bit of light and love. Um, the, the constant um, offer of support with my sisters and allow, them allowing me to show all of the ugly, scary stuff that's going on and be, be honest with myself and with them about how hard it is and knowing I'm safe to say those maybe scary things out loud as well as the gateway that's been an amazing support um talking about how hard it is and being real about it the unending loving support of my parents and Jeff's mum who's on the other side of the world desperate to come here and be part of supporting me and and Jeff and the kids but yeah I feel very blessed in some ways yeah on this edition of The Care Mosaic, you've heard Wendy and Nicole's experiences supporting their partners who live with mental illness. As Wendy said, it's a hard road that they're on and there isn't a clear sense of what's ahead. But there's always support out there. And if that support's carer related, then please contact the Carer Gateway at carergateway.gov.au. I'm Evan Wallace, and thanks for listening to Wendy and Nicole's stories. Want to know more about the free supports available to carers through Carer Gateway? Call 1800 422 737 Monday to Friday or visit carergateway.gov.au.